NFL. Now here's your hosts, Root and Y. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Woot and Y Show. What's this? Another special fantasy episode of the Woot and Y Show. Two in one week. Two in one week. It's pretty special. Hi, Y. How you going, man? Not too bad. Um, another special guest, Sigmund Bloom. Great. Always love speaking to Sigmund. It, it, it's a great time to be alive when you can go back-to-back nights of Christopher Harris and Sigmund Bloom, and that sounded very bad, but in terms of talking about fantasy um, with back-to-back nights there, but it, it's just great. Those two guys, uh, wealth of knowledge and experience in the community, and it, it is always great to talk to them. And, and between the two of them, I, I'm starting to piece together um, my targets and, and my players this year in, in my fantasy drafts. And I know what information you're getting. So. Yes, I also know what information you're getting. So um, let's try and draft at opposite ends of, of the, our fantasy drafts right, this year. Cool. So if any of our league mates are listening, we are not colluding. No. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, buckle up. Um, get your pen and paper ready. Um, if you're keeping tabs on what episode number it is, today's episode is 133. Yep. Epis- <laughs> episode bingo. Mark off episode 133. Yeah, those that have 133 on their charts. Yes. So uh, we speak to... Football guys, Sigmund and Bloom, and um, we can't recommend the football guys enough. I subs- I am a subscriber for the, their pro. I know you are as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's worth every single cent, and the Fantasy Football Players Championship alone is, is really fun. Have you picked your team yet for that? Not yet. How many weeks did you survive last year? Um, I'm a sh- hang on. I don't... Th- uh- I thought I was going to go really well, and I think I collapsed quite yeah, early Yeah, I, I started really strong in the first three weeks, and then I think I just hit the ground one week. Like and just week I, six? Yeah, I think, so, yeah, I think I went out in week five or six. So it's tough, but it's really fun. So yeah. it is, you just pick a team, and, and you just got to get the top certain amount of percentage out of everybody involved each week to survive, and eventually it whittles down to one, and you win a huge price. So it's it's really cool. But anyway, this is our uh, chat with Sigmund Bloom. We got him on the hotline bling early in the morning. Um, from Austin, Texas. I hope you enjoy. Joining us on the line all the way from Austin, Texas is Sigmund Bloom. You can read his work on footballguys.com. You can also hear his work on the Audible and on the couch as part of the Football Guys podcasting network. He's at the moment currently doing uh, the preseason watch list with his uh, co-host, and it's an absolute pleasure to have Mr. Sigmund Bloom back on the Wooten Wash Show, nearly almost a year to the day yeah. since he was on last time. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Sigmund Bloom. Oh, it's a great pleasure, and I, I love that uh, as the petals of the flower are opening here in, in the U.S., training camps opening, I, I love what has happened over the 11 years I've been doing this. And seeing it spread worldwide, that excitement, and I'm just happy to be included. And I hope, hope it's not a year before I'm on with you all again. All right, well, we'll make that happen, and yeah. we'll get you on sooner <laughs> rather than later. And you mentioned, you know, waking up to training camp. I don't know about you, Woot, but throughout the night, my phone, I don't know if I during training camp whether I get enough sleep because I have my notifications turned on for, you know, people like Rap Sheet and, and Schefter mm-hmm. and things like that, and it just constantly is vibrating on my uh, bedside table because i just am a glutton for training camp nuggets and news well that's what's so wonderful about training camp it's actual news it's not speculation it's not what we think might happen it's the plate tectonics of the nfl just little tremors sometimes that we see turn into earthquakes during the season but it reminds us or i've called it the click 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 on the roller coaster that first big hill we can feel the potential energy growing and it's real developments and also it starts to put some of the things that we believed to the test even if you believed all offseason of course the Jets are going to sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and indeed on the first day of training camp they did so now some of our predictions we get a chance to see how accurate we were yep yeah it's funny you mentioned that is that was sort of the first thing on our mind when when Woot walked into my uh into my house here at, at nearly 11 o'clock uh this evening and said mm-hmm. The Jets, Fitzpatrick, and, you know, I just wrote down the word clarity. Finally, we have clarity for this because it was, even though you you knew it was always going to happen, you just wanted to tick that final box. And now how do you approach, not how do you approach that, but it it just, 
it's full steam ahead now on Brandon Marshall yeah. and Eric Decker. It is, and I think what was interesting here, and you see how the media plays a role in the outcome of these things, because in the last three weeks, we had heard more reports, Brandon Marshall saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't returning his texts and it scared him. Even yesterday morning here in the U.S., Ed Werder from ESPN was saying, ooh, it looks like they haven't talked for weeks, the Jets and Fitzpatrick. It may take, Ian Rappaport saying a few days ago, it may take well into training camp, which once you start missing training camp practices, I know Ryan Fitzpatrick is a veteran and he has chemistry with these players, but Mm -hmm. this is what training camp's for. It's, It's for getting back in rhythm. It's for making all of those connections enlivened and ready for when the bullets start flying. And that's why we thought deadline spur action, uh, that it happened on the first day of training camp. I think especially if you're a Jets fan or you're just a fan of good football, it's good to know that the Jets are still committed to being as competitive as they can be this year. Yeah, poor Geno Smith, who's probably, you know, stretching and warming up, ready to take first team reps. (laughs) And Fitzpatrick walks through the door. Um. We need a little bit of help reevaluating the uh, Steelers' offense now that uh, yeah. the Le'Veon Bell suspension has happened, uh, or potentially going to happen. Yeah, exactly. We're still not. We're not sure. It's no not clarity going, yet. No clarity at all. It's the polar opposite. Um, what impact on the, like, sure. that offense with, and D'Angelo Williams, and you know your approach to drafting Le'Veon Bell? Well, I think we've seen a large enough sample last year that from a fantasy standpoint, D'Angelo Williams, maybe his ceiling isn't as high week in, week out as Le'Veon Bell, but his ceiling is still the number one running back that week. And in those first four weeks, and I think much like Ryan Fitzpatrick resigning with the Jets, it's 99.97% that Le'Veon Bell is going to serve a four-game suspension, whatever excuse he has. And I think that you will have in those first four games, we will all project D'Angelo Williams as a top five, top eight running back. He was the far and away the number one fantasy running back last year when he was the starter. So I'm advocating taking him as high as the fifth round, which might seem aggressive, but you get a head start. So for the first four weeks of the season, you have an extra first round pick. And then... You still have the injury upside of Le'Veon Bell going down. They still have the possibility that the Steelers, who have given 80 to 90% of the touches, unlike most teams, they give 80 to 90% of the touches to one running back. Yep. Perhaps this year, now that they know what D'Angelo Williams can still do at the age of 33, they may give him 30% of the touches, enough to merit a flex play or otherwise a desperation play. And I feel like I'm an aggressive drafter, so I'm going to lock in advantages where I can. I'm going to draft for ceiling, and then... I will count on late picks or waiver wire pickups to help fill in the gaps uh, if I miss on a few of those things. So I would love to get D'Angelo Williams in the fifth or sixth round, hopefully get out to a three and one or four and oh start in my league. And then by the time we get to week five, you know, I've had opportunities to make up the gap where now my fifth round pick isn't necessarily in my lineup. If you look at other running backs in the fifth round, guys like Jeremy Langford and Matt Jones, uh, Jeremy Hill, I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be reliable every week starters either. So at least I know I will get that if with four games of D'Angelo Williams. And if Le'Veon Le- Le- Bell goes down at some point during the season again for the third straight season, then D'Angelo Williams can win our league. And I don't know if you'd consider this, but uh, I would certainly contemplate it if you get a good offer. If someone else has drafted Le'Veon Bell after those first right. four weeks, you could trade him. Exactly. For a, a nice addition to your lineup and fill in that, fill in that gap. Maybe someone like those, you know, those running backs that you mentioned before might actually pan out okay, and and you can you know sling a, a decent trade across and, and and get a solid running back too for the rest of the season. But I, I agree with you, and I like that you're an aggressive drafter because so am I. Yeah, and I think that for the Steelers' offense in general, I'm not at – the loss of Martavis Bryant for the season is much more significant because he's stretching the field. And what we're going to be watching is guys like Sammy Coates uh, to see – Ladarius Green to see if they can replace some of that punch that they've lost because we saw the Steelers on the verge of – I think there was about one half last year that they had – Brown, Bell, Bryant, and Roethlisberger on the field. Well, now we know that's not going to happen this year. We know they're not even going to have three of those four for the first four games. However, if they can replace some of that field-stretching element that Martavis Bryant provided with Darius Green, with Sammy Coates, 
we can put them back in that or closer to that New England, New Orleans category where we know that it magnifies the value of any player in the offense. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. Because that offense would just be... It's such a tease. It is. One half. And they have a terrible defense, too. The perfect combination. Yeah. Where you know, they're happy to get into track meets. They'll still be one of the best offensive offenses in the league. But, um, it, on, you know, on the flip side, at least with Josh Gordon's reinstatement, there's hope that Martavis Bryant will play next year. And and on Josh Gordon, and another guy missing the first four, how, how do you approach him? I know uh, Matt Harmon yeah. wrote a really good piece um, on the go, uh, you know, the the day of that reinstatement. And um, he, he wrote some really great stuff on that, but I'm perplexed to what your thoughts are on how yeah. you approach Gordon. Well, perplex is a good word here because there's a lot still one question has been answered. Will he be reinstated? Yes. Uh, now we have the four game suspension. So that dings his value significantly, but we already have news that he is injured and you know, maybe a few weeks before he's ready. And one of the biggest things here is, I don't remember the exact statistics. You know, he's played five games in the last thousand days or six games in the last thousand days. And the Man. NFL, it's a grind. And your mind, body, and soul has to be ready if you're going to perform at the highest level. And we saw him even missing the first three quarters of 2014, and he didn't look like that dominant player he was in 2013. Now how will he look with an even longer layoff? That injury, more than the four-game suspension, mm-hmm. the injury – is potentially a warning sign that he's got a long way to go to get back to being the player he was whenever he was a sensation, even though he's still only 25 years old. Again, as an aggressive drafter and drafting for ceiling, and there are times, I'm reminded of Randy Moss in 2007, when the last time we saw Randy Moss before he joined the Patriots, he was playing at half speed. I mean, truly, you could watch him and the ball would be snapped, and he just was going through the motions. It's really hard to see a player return from that kind of level of play to an elite level of play, but there he was. So I understand drafting Josh Gordon strictly on talent and say, hey, as long as he's on the field, the talent, the cream will rise to the top. But now with these factors like the four-game suspension, like the injury as a warning sign, I think that's more of a seventh, eighth, ninth round proposition. In other words, after you've taken your core players, now you're taking maybe you know a rookie or otherwise somebody that you're drafting strictly – on a speculative basis, that's where you take Josh Gordon. He was going in the third or fourth round earlier in the offseason when folks thought it was a bit of a foregone conclusion that he would be reinstated. I think if you draft him anywhere near there, it's going to be trouble. And also, we've got to factor in that that quarterback situation as well. It's it's not ideal, and right. I'm still not, I don't know, me and we disagree on this, but I'm still not convinced RG3 is the answer, and we've got a smaller... Uh, we have a segment here called Burger Bets where we uh, we mm-hmm. have propositions and we uh, bet cheeseburgers. And if we want to, we're Ooh. confident we we raise it to a double beef and bacon. Ha. And then if we raise it again, we go the whole you know the, the Big Mac, the the triple whammy. But <laughs> um, we've got a burger bet that I I think Josh McCown will still start week one, and he's convinced it's RG three. But I'm just not convinced that that even though Josh Gordon has been quarterback proof, I mean he made Jason Campbell and Brandon Whedon um, right. have some big you know, fantasy days, I'm not sure when you factor that in with all, all of that that you've just said, where where I can confidently, I, I'm struggling to put Josh Gordon into my rankings. It's true. That whole Cleveland offense is a big question mark right now. Uh, on the positive side, if we're talking strictly about the RG3 Gordon connection, that's a connection that goes back to their days together at Baylor. Yep. So, you know, they're going to have some natural chemistry. Uh, on the plus side, you have Hugh Jackson. And Hugh Jackson is an eternal optimist in the Pete Carroll mold. So Hugh Jackson is going to do everything he can to convince Griffin, to convince Gordon. You have a true, fresh start. Whatever happened in the past, I don't care. I care about what's happening now and forward. And you you really want to convince those players of that because it it is, in some ways, a a psychological factor, the placebo effect. Um, Whereas if a player is still hung up on his past, then, or if a team, if a, if a coach is negative, if a coach is trying to scare a player into, into playing well, I don't think that's going to work for Gordon or Griffin at this point. So, Hugh Jackson's probably going to play with a higher tempo. Hugh Jackson has a history of wherever he's been coaching on the offensive side of the ball, the teams tend to outperform expectations. But I think you're right just to have a general wondering of can RG3 ever be even close to the player he was before? The last time we saw him, he was a deer in the headlights. And the NFL speed of play, if you're a quarterback, 
can make you freeze. We see it every week because when we get down to backup quarterbacks or even some of the starting quarterbacks. And I'm afraid that that's a very hard thing to unlearn yeah. on the field. So so I think the burger bet should not have been about week one, though, because this <laughs> the Browns still – Hugh Jackson might still try to force it. I mean, I, yeah. I would say that Robert Griffin III is going to have to truly in the preseason, which is not the speed of the regular season, look the way he did in the regular season. In other words, just overwhelm. And that could happen. Yep. But – Josh McCown can absolutely be better for Gordon, better for Duke Johnson, better for Corey Coleman, better for Gary Barnage, especially Gary Barnage. So if we think Josh McCown is going to start more games than RG3 or most of the games this year in Cleveland, and the fact they didn't trade him right away, because when RG3 was signed, we thought, okay, well, he's going to be the starter. If he falls apart, this team's in complete tear-it-down rebuilding mode. So get a fourth-round pick for Josh McCown. There are teams that need him. Denver will probably love to have Josh McCown. Absolutely. They've kept him, which tells me mm, Josh McCown is still a good bet to start some, if not most, of the games. Maybe not week one because they'll probably trot RG3 out there just to be sure. Yeah, or maybe you should do a, way, a counter wager now. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll see how we go. I'm out. I'm uh, out. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, <laughs> Sigmund, uh, the Miami, the the Miami, the Miami offense uh, feels like every year we go into it with a renewed hope because of a new offensive coordinator. But none seem to have the track record though, or and reputation of Adam Gase. Uh, last year we spoke about the wide receivers. Um, where do you stand on the Miami receiving core this year? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this sort out. I think there was already an early. Uh, item yesterday that uh, Ryan Tannehill and Devontae Parker seem to have some natural chemistry. And we can go back to Devontae Parker playing with Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville, and you saw that Devontae Parker was a good bad ball catcher. Catching balls outside of his frame, climbing the ladder, contorting his body to make catches, and that instills a confidence in a quarterback that uh, very few other things out there, I mentioned Randy Moss again, you just put it somewhere in his vicinity, and he's going to make that catch. So if we see that starting to develop Devonte Parker as long as he can avoid issues with his foot he's that upside pick in the fourth fifth sixth round Jarvis Landry still money in the bank to catch 90 9500 balls I think every year you're going to see him do a little bit more outside a little bit more downfield and his yards per catch will start to go up so he's a safe pick uh, you know in baseball terms I don't know what it would be what, what is it in cricket whenever you're just making a safe play a, a, a what would it call it a one and we call it a single or a double yeah, um, it'd be, it, it would just be like, yeah, just a, a straight drive maybe to, to mid-off, which is, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that, I may as well be speaking Chinese, but it's just like, no, a, exactly. a, yeah. When I was in, when I was in New Zealand in 2011, it was during the, the Cricket World Cup and, and one of my hosts explained the game to me and oh, it, was, wow. it, it was exciting and immersive. I loved it. Uh, I, it's much better than baseball. I'm sorry for any big baseball fans no, out there. Yeah. I would much rather watch a cricket game than a baseball game. So you're playing it safe. If you take Jarvis Landry, uh, and then otherwise, Kenny Stills, once a, a player that we really liked for New Orleans, he's somebody that we keep on our waiver wire watch list to see if he comes out of the gate hot. And then Leonte Carew, the rookie, who they gave up, I think, three picks to move up and get him. So they like him, and they were already giving him some first-team snaps. So all of these players become potential, uh, again, outperforming ex- expectations because of Adam Gase. And I do think that on the flip side, we saw a lot of affirmative evidence that Joe Philbin was holding this offense back. Yeah. We, we may see Lamar Miller in Houston as the number one or two fantasy running back this year when all the dust settles, again, to show that Joe Philbin didn't know what he had, he didn't know how to use what he had, the morale of the team. This was all the stuff with um, bullying and all the things with the offensive line, hazing. Like The offense never came together. And for Ryan Tannehill, whose who's talent and execution never came together on the field, there's a lot of pieces here. If they even start to line up a bit, you bring in Arian Foster to help with passing downs, to help with no-huddle offense, maybe do more than that. Uh, this is an offense that we should be checking really early in the season to see uh, if they're maybe, again, not at that New Orleans, New England level, but one of the better offenses in the league. Mm. And they open the season at Seattle. So and that's then at New be, England. And then at New England. So that's going to be a great test. So if they can even look competent and functional in, in those games, then we may see that as the season goes on, they'll get better, and a lot of players in this offense will outperform their draft position. Yeah. Um, sticking with Miami, though, um, will uh, 
Miami's recent acquisition of Arian Foster, do you think that's going to drop Ajayi into a range that is, you know, a price that's too hard to ignore? I I hope so. And I did see uh, Miami Herald Barry Jackson just said that he now expects Arian Foster to be the starter if completely healthy. Yeah. And the if completely healthy disclaimer with Massive Arian Foster. Pavit. Yeah, I mean, you're, that's if that's the if, then, well, stay tuned. So I'm still seeing Ajayi go a round or two ahead of Arian Foster. And I think that that's correct. But as you said, to actually make it where you would want to take a guy, you want to see Foster move ahead of him. If we see a preseason game when Foster's taking all the first team reps, or if we start hearing that out of camp practices, you may see that. I think that it's almost sure. And I, I want to see Arian Foster. I love Arian Foster as a player and as a person. He's one of the few nonconformists. Yeah, he yeah. has really made it. You know, I, I root for him. But at the same time, they only paid a million and a half dollars. That's backup money. Uh, I think that we see most players that are in this last part of their career where they go to another team. Very rarely do they look like even half the player they were. Once their original team is ready to let them go, the Danny and Tomlinson and so on, you see that they, they're not the player they were before. So I think that by the end of the season, J.J. is going to be the running back that you want to have for the Dolphins. And I'm willing to spend a, a seventh, eighth, ninth round. Again, that range of your draft, you've got your core players. Now you're swinging for the fences. I do think that Ajay is a player that by November or December can be helping us win our weeks in fantasy football. Yeah, and I think, and you got to be patient as well. I think there'll be some people in the leagues that will maybe draft him, and and you may see a lot of Foster early, and they they may drop Ajay, and you you got to pounce. I think I think that's the type of waiver wire pickup that you can pick up in week six or seven and really benefit from in weeks 13 and 14. Yeah, I think the whole Miami offense, if if you uh, if they do struggle against those first two teams, then all their stock might, you know, drop significantly. I was going to say, it, it could. And I remember seeing that with Allen Robinson last year when he struggled in the first, you know, first two games. And some people actually dropped him in in 10-team standard leagues, and, and you pick him up and you, you laugh your, your way to the playoffs. Yeah, those first few weeks of leagues are so important. Maybe right after the draft, that first few waiver wire runs, and then not overreacting, whether it's not dropping players or tr- making trades. And I think it's important to be aggressive. Sometimes you need to make some trades that at the moment you make them, you're still not co- not quite sure you're doing the right thing. But if you're trusting your convictions going into the season and you see some signs. So that's what we're going to be asking. You know, if if we were doing a show in week two or week three, we're going to look at the things that don't match our expectations. And then we say, are there good reasons that we can observe that they didn't? And then do we expect those things to change? Like early schedule, for instance, you know, we could look at, at Miami and at Seattle and maybe they get thrashed and then they go into New England and do a little bit better, and then in week three in Cleveland, they fire on all cylinders, but maybe at that point, the year-to-date stats for some of these players aren't good, but we look at the trends, we look at our original beliefs, and as long as you see a good reason that it's fantasy football is kind of zen, because sometimes the right answer is stick to your guns. Sometimes the right answer is be flexible and let go, and when you can tell the difference between those things early in the season, you can often ride those decisions to a championship. Yep, I'm glad the word Zen was used in a uh, question that started with Arian Foster because I think that yeah, I think he has good Zen. Yeah, Bow to your sensei. He's the shining light in the Russell Wilsons of the world. Uh, the the <laughs> non-conformist. <laughs> You're shaking your head at me again. Uh, just like um, the off season of Russell Wilson is doing my head in. I'm, I just want football back, and I love watching him play, but just off the yeah. field, he's just doing my head in. And Sigmund, he's the teacher's pet. Yes, exactly. Before we move on to the next question, when are you coming to Australia to watch some cricket? Because you need to come down, and if you love cricket, we we got to take you to you know a one day international or some 2020 games here in Sydney, and see our beautiful harbour and and have some yeah. have some beers and watch some cricket. I want to, and and I like the idea. I've been told there are cricket games that go on for days. Yeah, I I, I love the idea of that, and then we'll take an expedition in, in you know go to, to Ayers Rock and and really commune i want i want to revisit you know um the last wave uh i think uh, uh a lot there was actually a really good article that just went around from um an aborigine chief telling the stories of his lifetime and so i have a lot of interest in australia i made it close in, in 2011 and uh I, I do definitely plan on coming back to y'all's part of the world and and likewise please come to the united states and te- i feel like texas and australia are cousins in the, in the next 
in the international community because much like Australia, uh, Texas, and I'm sorry if my history is off here, but Texas was a place in the early history of the United States that if you were running from something, uh, whatever it was, you know, debt, uh, a feud, uh, charges, you know, you were going to be jailed somewhere. If you made it to the border of Texas, you could start life anew. And Texas is a harsh place. Texas is a difficult place to live, a difficult place to survive. Now we have air conditioning and, and water. <laughs> but back then, the original Texans, it was hard to survive here. And people are very proud of that. So I think we have a, an international connection here. I think that sounds... That's pretty good. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, it would, be, it would be awesome. We've actually never been to Uluru ourselves. So it's just it's just never come across us yet. It's, just, it's always been there. I think it's always just... Because it's so close, you're just like, oh, we'll get there. Like eventually, like we will we, get there. But we just hasn't been on the, yeah, on the list so far yet. But we've got uh, plenty of years ahead of us. Uh, speaking of, I don't know how I'm going to link uh, Ayers Rock to this next <laughs> topic, but um, I'm going to try. But uh, Ezekiel Elliott, um, yeah. a guy that you were, you know, preaching for the Cowboys or, or, or summoning the Cowboys to take before the draft at number four, they did. I don't know if they listened to you or trusted yeah. their own instincts, but uh, now that that has happened, where are you comfortable taking Zeke? And then we've also got to obviously include this caveat right. about that, that domestic violence uh, issue, but from from the, the, the Dallas beat writers and, and our friend of ours, Laurie Horish, is, is well up to date with the Cowboys beat and, and he's very heavily involved from, from some of his sources and people that he talks to. It seems to me that that, that claims aren't exactly true and I don't want to um sure I don't want to go down that path but because it is such a yeah. such a serious issue but from my understanding it looks like it should be fine and Zeke Zeke will be starting week 1. Yeah and you're right. I mean so where we're situated we don't want to um, transmit rumors or foster foster innuendo and things like that. Yep. But based on how things like this have gone in the past and based on what we've heard from Elliot's camp uh, and from the Cowboys, I would say that there's a high probability, uh, as if these things are true, that this is not going to be an issue. And it does sound like Elliot, and maybe this is, so we've seen, what's interesting here, just as a quick sidebar, yep. um, social media is changing the game. We Absolutely. saw in this year's, we saw in this year's draft, it, it, it was, it, it's really something I think that wasn't given enough uh, ink and the pixels. The Social media actually changed the draft with Laramie Tunsil. I mean, the, the video came out and he dropped in the draft because of that video. And likewise, now accusers can go straight to the court of public opinion. And it sounds like Ezekiel Elliott has been saving text messages and doing things to insulate himself in anticipation of something like this possibly happening. So maybe some players are starting to understand what's at stake and how they don't have control of the message once it gets out on social media and how they need to protect themselves. So I would say I would go forward with the uh, assumption that he won't miss any games, that he yep. won't get suspended for this. Going back to and, – and who is who is Dallas listening to? Well, Jerry Jones listens to Jerry Jones and Jerry Jones only. So I, <laughs> I, and, and, that's, and that's it. But I'm glad that Jerry Jones and I saw eye to eye on this because the Cowboys are built to magnify the talents of their running back. So if you put – I know people said, oh, Darren McFadden. You know, what does he have left? Look what he did last year. Exactly. So what can an elite running back do if you put him behind the best offensive line? You look at what DeMarco Murray did, and they gave him 390 touches uh, or carries. And I think Peter King, um, SI came out and said uh, 375 carries for Ezekiel Elliott. That sounds right to me. Wow. And he's got and he also is an excellent receiver out of the backfield an excellent pass blocker he's young he's basically uh, it's kind of like a, driving a new car off the lot you know so let's open up that engine let's take him out on the open road and see how fast he can go see what he can do i think that's what the cowboys are going to do they're in remember that this team is in a championship window they were one controversial play away from going to seattle for the nfc title game 2 years ago where they had already won Correct. They yeah. beat Seattle during the regular season in Seattle. So they were very close to going to the Super Bowl two years ago. They have the same team blueprint. I know their defense is uh, 
poor, but if they can control the game script, the tempo with their offense, which they were able to that year, I think they can mask some of the deficiencies of the defense. It's full speed ahead behind Ezekiel Elliott. I have him now as the number two running back. I still won't take him over Todd Gurley. I'm excited to see what Todd Gurley can do now that he's more than one year removed from his ACL tear. But I won't talk anybody out of taking Elliott as the number one running back. I won't talk you out of taking Elliott as the number one player, period. Because when we see talent and a team philosophy and the strength of the team line up the way they are with this situation then we should not put artificial limits. Can Ezekiel Elliott run for 1,700, 1,800 yards? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Can he have over 2,000 total yards? Absolutely. Can he score 12 touchdowns, 14 touchdowns? Yes. Uh, I think this is a very exciting situation. And for those people who are willing to stick their neck out and say, I'll take him in the top three, I'll take him in the top five, you can be rewarded for that. You've sold me on him. <laughs> Anytime anyone mentions the R word, rookie, I just think back to Edron James. Yeah. Why can't he do that? I I just think he could easily outperform that, that rookie season. And you mentioned, like, driving a new Corvette. It's like driving a new Corvette and having a police escort down the highway with that <laughs> offensive line. It's just ease for him. It, it's built for him. I, I agree. Like, I have no qualms in a standard league taking him at 101. Yeah, yeah. No, if it's a non PPR league, uh, you're almost almost demands that you take Gurley or Elliott. Your pick. Yep. Yeah. In a PPR though, I ain't I ain't going beyond one of those top three wide receivers, and I'd even throw in AJ Green at, at maybe number four because yes. I just think he's going to just be a, an absolute funnel for that Cincy offense this year. Oh, signed. Yep. Um, Sigmund, before you mentioned uh, the Jeremy Langfords of the world, how do you approach players that aren't necessarily you know? the most pretty players or talented players, but are in right. good situations to see a healthy amount of work. Yeah, that's, that's one of the toughest tensions in fantasy football because in general, unless I've seen a player look good at football, watching and say, he's good at this. <laughs> I don't like to draft players that I haven't had that moment with yet. But we can go back over the years and see players where situation can create value, especially for running backs. Yep. So there are some players, Matt Jones, at no point last year did he really impress me, but Washington's offense is going to put so much pressure on the defense with the passing game that Matt Jones, if he can just stay healthy and hold on to the ball, and that fumbling problem is something that's on Washington's mind, that he can get 300 touches, he can get 1,200, 13, 1,400 total yards, 6, 8, 10 touchdowns, and easily be a profitable pick. Latavius Murray interests me here. Oakland's offense has taken a step forward. They have probably the best interior offensive line, guard and centers, um, center and two guards, in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And you have, with, again, a passing game that can put pressure on the defense. And also their defense is getting better. So you have Oakland as a team, and I, long-suffering Oakland fans, I hope this comes to pass, that maybe they do get over the hump and win eight, nine, ten games this year. Now Latavius Murray, if he just can stay healthy, can get the same idea, 300 touches, 13, 14, 1,500 total yards. Um, running back is the position where I'm willing to say touches by default as long as we don't see anything yet. So someone like Ryan Matthews, on the other hand, who looked like a touches by default running back, is already hurt. And we know his history no thanks. Um, Jeremy Lankford, I do, not, I do not think he was clearly even the best running back taking Matt Forte out. I don't think he was clearly better than Kadeem Carey running between the tackles. And they have Jordan Howard, who, as Matt Waldman would say, is going to remind John Fox of Stephen Davis from when, when they were together back in Carolina. So I think that that situation in Chicago is much murkier. So I, could, I definitely could endorse Jones. Uh, Murray in the fifth round, not so much um, uh, Matthews, not so much Langford. And then in another position, Kobe Fleener yep. in New Orleans. And this is a player that earlier on in the offseason, I saw him falling to the ninth, 10th, 11th round of drafts. And at that point, the role with what Ben Watson showed us he could do merits taking him there. But enough people have caught up thanks to some good work out there by a lot of great fantasy writers that now you're seeing Kobe Fleener going as the fifth or sixth tight end off the board. And, and, and with Michael Thomas, another Ohio State rookie, looking so good in the OTAs and seeing if he can carry that over, the chemistry he's had. So those two guys are going to be competing, Fleener and Thomas, for targets in the middle of the field. I think Thomas is 
a better player. I think that'll show out in preseason. I think it'll show out in the regular season. So Kobe Fleener, because in running back, you, you know, Matt Jones doesn't really have competition. Latavius Murray might have competition. Remember the name DeAndre, DeAndre Washington. Washington. Yeah. So Kobe Fleener, if he couldn't develop trust with Andrew Luck, he had lots of opportunities to do that. Then I don't expect him to do that with Drew Brees. I'm open to being wrong on this one, but running back is generally the only position where I will take a player that I don't necessarily think is good at football, but I know the team doesn't really have a choice. They have to give him the ball. Yep. Especially when players like Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis and Mikel LaShaw, I'm just looking at, and Sean Green have been top 20 running backs. I just looked Mm -hmm. up then, and it's just crazy the, the amount of players that are not in the league anymore that have been top 20 fantasy running backs because they just are funneled touches and you... You can't ignore that as as much as it pains you to uh, have to put have them does. and roster them. It, it does. I it's it's one of those picks. You y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. When you when you look at the names on the board, you think I have to take him. Well, I have to take him. I don't want to take him, but I have to take him. Generally, when you have to talk yourself into a pick while you're on the clock, you regret it. Yes, <laughs> that's never a good position to be. <laughs> no, I don't like it. I hate that position in a draft. I just want to hit the rewind button. I oh, know. <laughs> Uh, Jim Bob Cooter. Mm. God bless him. What a name. Um, yeah. What a guy. This this offense is is really intriguing now with him at the helm, and you know he took over and that offense exploded. And part of that was schedule. Uh, a lot of this, their their hardest games were up front, and then it got a little bit easier. But you can't ignore what they did um, in those games. But there's so many moving pieces now in that Detroit offense you know Calvin Johnson's gone and we saw Golden Tate's production without him Marvin Jones is now in and now you add in that Anquan Bolden news from Mm -hmm. a couple of days ago and then for us we've been looking we had Jody Smith on last week Eric Ebron's red zone production under Cooter is is quite high how do we approach this offense and you've you've talked about that that Pittsburgh New England New Orleans level right I don't think Detroit could get that high but I, I surely can see them being on that next tier well, we all moved on from Detroit when they cratered in the first half of the year. And in the second half of the year, as you said, things picked up for this offense. And it's easy to forget that Matthew Stafford at one point was an elite fancy quarterback, just for a flash there, I think it was 2011. But he was back, not quite elite, but in the top five or six under Jim Bob Cooter. If you take out that first game, remember, everybody got sacked when they went to London. They had a poor game. And then there was the bye week. After their bye week, Stafford was a top five or six fantasy quarterback. And there is a, there's a compelling argument to say, well, that's with Calvin Johnson. Even though Calvin Johnson wasn't playing like Calvin Johnson in his prime, Calvin Johnson tactically draws so much attention that it opens things up. But I do think that with a full offseason to install his offense, we know this is not going to be a running team. Uh, Amir Abdullah will take a step forward as a runner this year, hopefully, but they're not going to rely on the running game to set up the passing game. It's going to be the passing game setting up the running game. And l- looking down the fantasy prospects here, I think Stafford's a profitable. You're seeing Stafford is a, you know, 17th, 18th quarterback off the board when he was top five or six last year. I will take my chances with him. Uh, it all it all intersects there. They're going to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And we're going to also watch this offensive line. Um, Taylor Decker, their first-round pick, another high. Well, it's all about Ohio State this year, Ohio State rookies. That's the, that's the theme. Um, I think he's going to be an instant upgrade. And if they keep him at left tackle and put Riley Reef back at right tackle, I think that's going to help Reef yep. look better. Uh, you have, as you mentioned, Eric Ebron ready to take a step forward in his third year. You have Marvin Jones. And I, I look at – and there's been some compelling arguments. Evan Silva from Roto World was just on my show saying, Matthew Stafford tends to lock in on one receiver. I think that receiver is going to be Golden Tate. Golden Tate could lead the NFC in receptions. So Golden Tate, because Evan is saying things like this, this is how it goes in the fantasy football world. You're now seeing Golden Tate where he was a fifth-round pick going in the third and fourth round. Yep. I don't like that nearly as much as Mar- Marvin Jones in the seventh or eighth round. And I do think that when the dust settles, unless it's because of Matthew Stafford, as Evan put it, deciding before the ball snapped who he's going to throw it to, uh, you may see Jones and Tate have numbers very close to each other. So yep. if I'm going to take a Detroit wide receiver, it's going to be Jones, not Tate. I do think that for those that were on the Eric Ebron bandwagon, Anquan Bolden signing is not a good development for him. Bolden at this point in his career is a big slot. And I do think that in the middle of the field, yeah. Bolden's going to be more reliable. I think Bolden still got play. I think he still got legs. Fine one. 
Yeah, and he this is a player. He's not quite in the Hall of Fame, but he's in my Hall of Fame. He's, it's going to be so hard for wide receivers to get in the Hall of Fame, but he's in my Hall of Fame. And I think that he's a kind of player that you may not plan on him being a big part of your offense, but you, we see his history and what he brings to an offense. He, you know, he, it's kind of like a Jerome Bettis, like a hard-nosed running back that will run over a player and get your team fired up. Anquan Bolden does that from the wide receiver position. They need a presence like that. I expect Bolden to get that number three role in this offense. I think it will hurt Eric Ebron. There's a lot of other tight ends I like better than Ebron in that same range of the draft. But again, it all intersects back at Matthew Stafford, and you haven't even mentioned Theo Riddick, who's going to catch 70 or 80 balls. Again, highlighting that this is a pass-first offense. I think Stafford may throw the ball 670, 680 times this year. That's nuts. That is, and that's the amount of times he threw it in 2011, 663 attempts. And that was where he was a top top five quarterback. So we'll wait and see how that pans out. But it is interesting. I do love where Stafford's going. I've drafted him so many MFL 10s. Um, about draft strategy, uh, we want to yeah. know how you're approaching the drafts this year. So, so like, what running backs um, are you targeting in that third, fourth, fifth round if you go, you know, the zero running back uh, right. s- strategy? And on the opposite side, you know, what wide receivers are you targeting in those same rounds if you go zero wide receiver early on? Sure. I like T.Y. Hilton a lot this year. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, when Andrew Luck's been on the field, has been a top 10 wide receiver. Uh, early reports from OTAs are that he looks like he's ready to have the best year of his career. I, I like the sound of all that. Um, in the third round at running back, um, Dion Lewis, I, I would be willing in PPR leagues to take him in the third round. Dion Lewis was a top 10 running back last year when he was healthy. If you look at the lack of moves that the Patriots made a running back, that tells me that they expect him to make a full recovery and he will once again be a centerpiece of the offense. And, what If you are worried about Deion Lewis, and we need to make sure James White beats out Donald Brown to be that backup receiving back, but it really went without much notice that James White, after Deion Lewis went down in PPR leagues, was a top 12 running back. Yeah. So, so if you say, well, I don't like spending a third-round pick on a player that I, has had such a small track record of success, if you just take James White late in your draft, assuming we're not talking about 16 man rosters because then it makes it more difficult to carry a handcuff but 20 man rosters you can carry james white you can hit your bet there and uh, and then Dion lewis in the fourth round becomes an easy call i wish i had clarity on carlos hyde i'm not going to talk people out of taking carlos Hyde if they're excited about him the same factors as last year how long is this team going to hang in the game every week how long are they going to feed him those factors are there but also there's another story you can tell about Carlos Hyde that this team is going to run up-tempo. They're going to run the ball a lot. And Carlos Hyde is the kind of player that Chip Kelly's going to look at and say, uh, we're, we're going to use him as much as we possibly can. Uh, so I like him in the fourth round. I like Jeremy Macklin in the fourth round. Nice. I, I think. So uh, here's a little story that I'm telling about Kansas City a lot. Alex Smith. If I say Alex Smith for fantasy football, what's your first response? You know, response like, uh, probably the emoji with all the Z's coming out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But here's the thing. Go back to when Justin Houston, their best off defensive player, one of the best defensive players in the league. In 2013, Justin Houston hurt his elbow. Uh, I think it was in I don't know, week 11 or week 12 against San Diego. Even from the second half of that game on, all of a sudden, Alex Smith turned into a fantasy juggernaut. Remember, that was the year that in the playoffs – they lost to Indianapolis. I think he threw four touchdowns and yep. 370 yards or something like that. But from the, from the, that time forward, in that San Diego game in Week 12, he threw three touchdowns in 294 in Week 12, 293 and two touchdowns in Week 13. He only threw 137 and two touchdowns in Week 14, but that was because they were ahead by like 30 points at halftime. And then he threw five touchdowns in Week 15. So the, the complexion of this team changes if their defense can't keep the other team down. So I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Smith, Jeremy Macklin, Travis Kelsey all outperform their ADP because this becomes more of a passing team than a balanced offense. I've, I've got to mention Matt Harmon's man, uh, Dante Moncrief. If he's there in the fourth round or fifth round, he's somebody you have to look at. And then Thomas Rawls. I've kind of done a, a full lap around the field on Thomas Rawls where <laughs> – because I loved Thomas Rawls last year. Uh, he was yep. my fa- one of my favorite undrafted players last year. I, w- I never even could have predicted that he was going to do what he did. 
But I do think that as long as we don't see any affirmative evidence that we should be scared of him, he's still going to be the lead back. He's still in a tremendous situation. So Thomas Rawls would be a, a running back that I would be targeting in the fourth round right now. I, I'm going to ask you a question that's unrelated to fantasy football, but do you, yeah. know, how to, do you know how to hack into Google Docs? Hack into Google Docs? Yeah, because this, you... is, this is dangerous. I, I sometimes I feel like I need to hack into my own Google Docs <laughs> when I can't find work that I've done. So because, I, I need to know how to do this. Because I jotted down Kansas City game game script without Justin Houston, and you answered that question while answering our previous dot point. And I even looked up before we went on air whether Justin Houston played in that Kansas City. Indianapolis playoff game because I, I remember that so vividly. I'm a Colts fan, but I remember that game so vividly and, and how Alex Smith balled out in that series yeah. because of that. I just felt like that you were reading our minds and we're ahead of the curve and I don't know. I felt like you were reading our document ahead of time. Well, so I just I wanted show, to ask. Yeah, after the show's over, I have a few things to tell you about. We, we had a conversation before we came on the air that I'll tell everyone out there, don't ever have children. So <laughs> I have have some news for you. I want to give you a chance to get this news in private. So, yes, they're, 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 we think this is about fantasy football, but it's about so much more. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've answered that 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 question involving Kansas City, and I, I agree with you, and I am worried about them as a whole outside of fantasy football and whether, you know, that Houston and now Eric Berry out for the whole entire camp as well, um, how that's going to affect their team and, and, how, and how their identity and how they're going to win games going forward. But... We we have some speed round questions that we ask everyone that we have on have on these shows and and we'll start with uh, this is before we let you go as well uh, a late round quarterback outside your top ten and, and a shout out to JJ Zacharyson you know the late round quarterback who Sigmund Bloom find himself constantly drafting and we probably we mentioned Matthew Stafford you just mentioned Alex Smith but is there anyone else besides that that you find yourself drafting uh, later in these in in these drafts. We mentioned Ryan Tannehill. We'll throw him in there. Kirk Cousins. We'll throw in there. Um, Alex Smith. Uh, and let's say Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, you know, remember he was the number twelve quarterback last year, so he set up. So the bottom line here is there are a lot of options. You could wait until twenty quarterbacks are off the board and probably still be okay. Do you typically wait on quarterback? I do, and I think it's just because it's the easiest position to improvise. And those people that have tried streaming, again, not shout out to JJ, have tried saying, hey, I'll just let the waiver wire be my quarterback. You'll be surprised at how well you'll do with with a quarterback. If you are going to take an early quarterback, I'll let you ask. I'd say Drew Brees is the answer. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, of the early ones, at what point do you see a quarterback on the board, you know, in an early round, say, you know, I don't know. For me, like I just did a mock draft earlier, and, Russell Wilson was there in the six, and I, I just couldn't right. refuse. I just had to take him there. Yeah, and I think that, again, seventh, eighth, ninth round is where you're saying, I've got my core players, now I can get cute with it. And if, if Drew Brees is still a player in that range of the draft, I, I would take him. Yep. Yeah. Um, who are some players that you won't own in 2016? Ooh. Um, so I would say that DeAndre Hopkins is not someone I'm going to take in the first round just because usually I'm taking A.J. Green over him. Uh, at this point, I'm probably not going to be taking Devontae Freeman. Right at that exact same point in the draft, I would be looking at Lamar Miller, Adrian Peterson. or uh, uh, Here's one that's going to surprise people. Rob Gronkowski. Oh, if, wow. he falls to the, if he falls to the mid-late second round, I will take him. But where he's going in drafts, I just like so many other options at tight end this year, uh, discount options. Even Jordan Reed, who performed at the same level. Uh, I'm probably not going to be taking um, Amari Cooper in the third round just because I think that he and Michael Crabtree will be s- produced at a similar level, and Crabtree's going three, four rounds. Not taking Matt Forte. Uh, I think Bilal Powell. You'll see a theme here. When I see two players at the same position on the same team, and I see the player going three, five, ten rounds later as close to an equal option, that's the direction we're going. Yep. And here's one where I'll take neither, DeMarco Murray. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that, that's, I, a, <laughs> that's our next question again. Is there an offense you want to completely avoid this year? Oh, Exotic Smash Mouth. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's something I almost feel like this should be said in, in the Aussie accent. Because you know, that's like, that's something that I would expect to, yeah. to find. Exotic Smash hey. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. See, now that sounds like something I want to buy into. Yes. Now that. Now you're drafting Murray. (laughs) Mike Uh, Malarkey needs Paul Hogan down there at training camp just yelling out exotic smash mouth while wielding a knife to get them really pumped up. Yeah, I just, I I don't, I I don't, 
Mike Malarkey, Terry Robisky, Tennessee. And there has been rumors, by the way, to give folks some context here. Since Bud Adams died, there's been growing rumors that this team is going to be sold. And uninspired choices at coach, I compared it on Twitter yesterday to leaving the wall, the color of the walls of your house white when you're going to sell it so that the new owner can just pick the color they want. And I wonder if that's what's going on here. So I look at this offense, and you have five wide receivers plus a tight end they are going to play roles. You have two running backs, and then Dexter McCluster is going to play roles. Plus this team, I think, is going to be a losing team. And when I think Mike Malarkey, I don't think exceeding expectations. I don't think getting the most out of players. I think, well, you know, Mike Malarkey. I mean, just the way that we think of him around the NFL, this this is a very uninspired choice. So Tennessee is an offense that I'm avoiding. Probably Baltimore. I know Kamar Aiken and J- Justin Forsett could be values. Um, but I think Baltimore is another offense where you look at four tight ends playing a role, three or four running backs playing a role. Are you still are you still in our Google Doc, by the way? Because this is our <laughs> next question. This, this is, is in, insanely scary. Like we've been watching Stranger Things on Netflix, and this is uh-huh. really Stranger Things are going on right now. <laughs> We're all pulling from one mass consciousness. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, all right. So, speaking of the Ravens, uh, what Ravens yeah. running back and wide receiver would you most like to own? Yeah, if you had to. It's Forsett and Aiken, and, I, and, and those are fine picks. I mean, Forsett is a player that was a, still a solid running back to last year before he went down. Aiken was a solid wide receiver three approaching wide receiver two production. And things like Mike Wallace failing his conditioning test, I don't think Buck Allen is that good. I think Kenneth Dixon is solid in a Fred Jackson kind of way. But Fred Jackson was never a player, even in Buffalo, where they loved him, that they said, we're going to push everyone else aside and feature this player. Yep. So I think I think that Forsett and Aiken are the answers. But I also think that you know neither of these are players that give you league winning upside, but they do give you a chance to pocket a nice tidy profit uh, if Aiken just carries over what he did last year and if Forsett stays healthy. Yep. And uh, last but not least, uh, Sigmund Bloom, who are you taking some late flyers on? Because you you mentioned that you are an aggressive drafter and yeah. you like to sort of uh, take some aggressive picks there at the end and 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 throw you know things at the wall and see what see what will stick so who are yeah. who are you throwing uh things at i don't know that was really yeah, yeah. weird so <laughs> sure. no no here what are you throwing you... things at there's <laughs> <laughs> a wall um, yeah. i'm throwing things at, my, at myself in the mirror um sammy coats and and we're just looking at that pittsburgh uh, deep wide receiver and i'll tell you if it's not sammy coats in week one or week two we may go to the waiver wire for Michael Thomas, I'm sorry for Michael Thomas for the, um, um, Darius Hayward Bay, uh, because Hayward Bay filled in for Martavis Bryant admirably early last year. I think he scored a couple of touchdowns and was actually a decent fantasy player. So let's look at that Pittsburgh uh, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, outside wide receiver role. Bilal Powell, I've mentioned DeAndre Washington, I've mentioned. Um, I, I think Devontae Booker is very interesting in Denver. If C.J. Anderson stubs his toe, I think Booker can be just as good as C.J. Anderson. Now with this news about um, Brian Matthews, Wendell Smallwood becomes more interesting. So yeah. we're, you know, we're looking at running backs, and then we're looking at roles in, in good pass offenses. You know, I'd say that number three role, especially with Jordy Nelson being a little bit slow out of the gate, uh, Jeff Janis, Devontae Adams, just taking a shot at some of these roles in offenses. Maybe we pick the wrong player at first, but it, att- it gets our attention on the role so that we will be the first on the waiver wire in week two, week three to get that player yep. that we know can perform because it's about the quarterback as much as just about the wide receiver when we're talking about passing game. Brilliant. I just want one last name. Cameron Bright. Is that? Oh, yeah. Is that someone you would you, you have drafted or would consider? Because I I feel like he could overtake Austin yes. Safarian Jenkins this year. So yes, okay. Would I draft Cameron Bray? Probably not. But I, I would call it waiver wire speed dial. So there are players that in the first few weeks of the season, if we see, we could almost make a list. Maybe this I'm coming up with an article idea on the fly here. This idea that if this happens. Put this player on the top of your waiver wire queue. And in this case, it's if Austin Safarian Jenkins gets hurt. Or finally sours the relationship with the coaches for good, which he's close. He's maybe one or two missteps away. Cameron Brait is not going to be necessarily, you know, a Jimmy Graham kind of player, but he's already shown that he can be a very reliable target for Jameis Winston. There's a lot of chemistry there. Jameis Winston, uh, we've seen in his rookie year developing chemistry. What happens with an entire offseason to work with Brait, who was one of the stars of OTAs, and 
the red zone is where we see Bray and three touchdowns last year already. So, uh, you know, this yep. is great. We've got to mention two Harvard players in this podcast. Who would have thought that ever happened? Awesome. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, Sigmund Bloom, before we let you go, is there anything you want to uh, share a message or, or uh, spread the word on about yeah. football guys and, and your work to our audience? Yeah, just football guys. If you're obsessed with football, uh, then you're home when you get to football guys and we have a new free app, a free football guys, mobile app, our newswire is free. All the podcasts I do with Cecil Lammy, we do eight a week. Preseason watch list is on one podcast per team. We go at least 15 or 20 minutes. We go very deep on the roster, deeper than Cameron break. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we try to cover everybody that could even in some alternate universe matter in fantasy football. Uh, we just love football. We love the community. We love everything about experiencing football season together. And if you do decide to buy our app, if you do decide to become a subscriber, play in the football guys players championship and so on, then you'll see that we, we deliver and we certainly appreciate the opportunity to serve. And again, I I just can't say how excited. One of the things I'm most proud of when I talk to people about what I've done in in my time in my career is that that I do shows with fans in, uh, in, in, in excellent shows in, in Ireland, in England, New Zealand, Australia. I'm in fantasy football leagues with people that live in Israel, in Brazil, Christ. in Japan. And I love that that thing that, you know, growing up in uh, the Pittsburgh area, you become obsessed with football kind of as a religion. Yep. And I, I, I'd love to see that. I don't know exactly what it is about professional football. I think it's a metaphor for life, that we're all living life at full speed. It's ugly. It, you can lose it all at any second. But you can also win it all at any second. And I think it's a cathartic experience on Sundays to watch players lay it all on the line the way that we do every day. But it's kind of hard to acknowledge that you do because then like anxiety and you, know, you freeze up and get stuck in your own head. So you, <laughs> you can do that. And, you know, in life, we don't have that many opportunities to things happen in life, setbacks, failures, uh, tragedies. But things also happen in life, victories. Life moves so fast that we don't have an opportunity to to yell and celebrate together yep. when something good happens or to mourn together uh, or when something bad happens always. We have to move on. But on Sundays, all those rules are lifted, and we get to let emotions out. Maybe it isn't about what your team did or your fantasy football team did. It's really just letting that stuff out. And to see it continue to spread and to see the passion for the NFL go worldwide and to be part of that. It has really been a great joy, and I always look forward to hearing from you all and getting a chance to come on. And you're welcome anytime, and we, we love having you on because it's 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 just so good to, to get a deeper level and a different view on football. Um, I feel like every time we have you on, we leave a lot smarter and, and, and more focused. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just motivating. It's... It's 12 p.m. and I want to go for a run now. I don't know. I just <laughs> yeah. Well, and and when the cricket World Cup comes back up again in uh, 2019, then then I'll do a cricket podcast and and I'll have you all on to educate my listeners and uh, we'll start to cross pollinate all of the passions. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll have to get a cricket fantasy league going and and yes. see what we could do. <laughs> Count me in. All right. All right. That's, that's good. And uh, tell Cecil Lemley to go easy, a little bit easier on our buddy Adam Gotsis over there, the Aussie G lineman. <laughs> hey. Cecil tells me that that he and Adam are becoming friends too, so the, stay tuned. Yeah, he's a he's a really good dude, and I, I a lot of people were a little bit shocked at the, that selection, but um, from our musings with him, he he's such a switched on guy, and he he's got a great attitude, and he's gonna go. I think he's gonna go places, but we're a little bit biased. But um, you know, you got to back your guys, and and we we will back Adam till till the end. Yep. Always, always. Thank you very much, Sigmund, and enjoy the rest of your day, and, and have a good football season, and, and hopefully it won't be a year before we get you back on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Big thanks to Sigmund Bloom for joining us on the line. God, I love chatting with that guy. As I said to him, I feel like going for, going a, run. Going for a run. Like, I really feel energized. Like I feel like I've had a Gatorade bath, and <laughs> I've just... And, yeah. I feel like possibly trekking to Uluru right now from home. It's a fair trek uh, to my boss. I won't be in for four days. <laughs> four days? Yes. Yeah, I think it's going to take you longer than Look, four Sigmund's days. Look, Sigmund's inspired me. I'm going to go at an extremely high pace. I'm going to be very productive and, and see how we go. But it's hard to... Uh, cue, the, cue the Josh Wire Forrest Gump montage <laughs> of you just running. Mum... Mum said, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you just put on a British accent. 
<laughs> oh, great. Great. Any Forrest Gump fans, have, we've deterred them away. But, yeah, it's hard to go to bed after, tw- like, it's 12 a.m. now, and it's hard to, after speaking with Sigmund, to just sort of hit the pillow and, and wind down you, because yeah, you feel... You're going to put your head down and then go, maybe just one mock draft. Yeah, <laughs> maybe something. something. Like, maybe like I'll read one article, or maybe I'll, I'll absorb this more football knowledge and, and just... Be motivated to to increase my knowledge and, and learn more, and 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 he does that. He has that effect. So please check that out. And if you missed our episode with Christopher Harris yesterday, I highly recommend that you listen to that. Um, plenty of fantasy information. And then last week, Jody Smith. If if you want to know more about the red zone, he put an immense amount of work in to uh, charting all the red zone of all thirty two teams, and we we quizzed him on that and and got some valuable information out of him for that. So plenty of fantasy. Uh, content for you, and there'll be more coming. I think oh, there's uh, going to be so much more fantasy. Liz Liz Lozer has uh, accepted our request to come on, but she's just not available in July. So you just have to wait to aug- until August for Liz Lozer. But it's always good having her. The wait will be worth it. People. Yes, it always the it wait, always the is. wait the wait's always worth it with Liz. Yeah, so a stellar lineup, and uh, we'll we'll keep that going and uh, in preseason DFS approaches too. So we'll get some DFS chatter in as as the season approaches and. And uh, that's it. That's it for the show. Any any last remarks? No. Just, no. Uh, it's a weird feeling being so refreshed about to go to bed. I know. It's, it's bizarre. It's, uh, it, it is a really weird feeling. But I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And please, iTunes reviews. We, we love iTunes reviews. Um, and we're going to do something uh, for the Lunar Bowl this year with, with iTunes reviews. So if you keep leaving reviews um, throughout the year and if you've already given us a review, you'll be in the draw for something. We're going to work something out with Lunar Park about uh, a, a seat on our table for the Lunar Bowl regarding reviews. So keep them coming. The more reviews you do... So many prizes for the Lunar Bowl coming out. Yeah, the more uh, the more reviews you do, the more chances you have in the draw. So just keep that in mind. So as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Woot and Why. I'm on at JYNFL. I'm at Josh... No, I'm not. No, at Wood, etc. Wood, etc. I like the change, by the way. Thanks. Never, uh, never told you that in person, but I, nice. I dug it. And you can follow the show on, yeah, I already said on Twitter, but on Facebook as well, Instagram, and you can listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, and Radio Hub. Please buy tickets for the Lunar Bowl. Peace. Later.